We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays, because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void were prohibited. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast sponsored by Draft, the only app offering daily fantasy snake drafts. It is Thursday, January 12th. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. We're also joined by a special guest today. He is Ricky O'Donnell, college basketball editor and NBA contributor for SB Nation. Ricky dropped by to help us break down the 2017 NBA draft. We touched on a number of topics, including the debate at number one overall, Harry Giles stock, prospects who could bust, potential sleepers, and much, much more. It was a ton of fun. If you're a draft junkie like we are, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get to Ricky. All 
All right, so we are pleased to be joined by Ricky O'Donnell, college basketball editor and NBA contributor for SB Nation. Ricky, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, so we're going to talk mostly NBA draft, as we do uh, usually on the Thursday edition of this podcast. Uh, And Ricky, I'll start by asking you about Markel Fultz. He's kind of the number one on on most big boards. I know James is is partial to Josh Jackson from Kansas. Um, Who's number one on on your big board? Is it Markel Fultz? Yeah, it's definitely Markel Fultz. I think he's number one because he just doesn't have many holes in his game. I mean, you look at him, he's got ideal size for a point guard at 6'5", with almost a 6'10 wingspan. Uh, He's shooting the ball, I think, much better than a lot of people anticipated him to coming into this season. Uh, I was thinking he'd probably be about a 35% three-point shooter, and he's 10 points better than that almost so far at Washington. Uh, he's really creative as a passer, as a ball handler. And, you know, you just look at his game and I just don't see many, many weak spots uh, in his skill set. So to me, he's the number one player in this draft. And that's saying a lot because it's definitely a strong class, uh, especially in the lottery behind him. No, for sure. So if Markel Fultz is number one, who's the biggest threat to him uh, to maybe, you know, rival him for that spot? Kind of like we saw Carl Towns, you know, a couple of years ago, move in on Jalil Okafor, who at this time in the college season was kind of the consensus number one. Yeah, I would say Lonzo Ball is probably that player because I think there's just such a wow factor with Ball where you think, you know, you watch him and you just might think he's special the way he's been able to transform UCLA, who last year was one of the more frustrating teams in college basketball. I mean, he's really put his imprint on that team and it's just uh, inspired the way they've played this whole year. Uh, I think that, you know, their Ball is going to be one of the more divisive prospects in this draft because there's certainly some things with him uh, that are a little unconventional. You can just start with the release of his jump shot. Also the fact that he just doesn't drive and finish much. He drives quite a bit actually, but he's normally passing out to one of UCLA's many shooters. Uh, I I don't anticipate him to be a prospect that every draft uh, expert or every team loves, but I think, you know, if the right team ends up with the number one pick, he could be a guy uh, who could be in serious discussion with Fultz. And then another name I'd throw in there is Jason Tatum, just because, uh, he's a wing who can shoot it a bit. He's got good size at six eight. He can swing between the three and the four. I think that, that versatility is really going to attract a lot of NBA teams. Uh, you know, as the process gets closer. So one of the reasons that I like Jackson uh, more than all those guys is because of his position and his versatility in terms of being a, a two way player. How much do you weigh? Like the point guard position is so deep right now. And, you know, you have teams that have multiple point guards that they'd like to trade. They can't really find suitors. You have uh, kind of a long track record, really, of teams that are led by point guards uh, not really turning into title contenders. I mean, Steph Curry's Warriors last year and, and the year before that, are, it's kind of a rare exception where, where a point guard's the best player on a title uh, contending team. How much do you kind of factor in a player's position? And do you think that the, the amount of point guards in this specific draft class will make it kind of complicated at the top because certain teams just aren't going to have a need there. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. I want to say, first of all, that I've been on the Josh Jackson bandwagon uh, for years doing college basketball for SB Nation. I cover a lot of recruiting AAU stuff, and uh, I've seen Josh Jackson on the you know on the AAU trail, I think, you know since he was entering his senior year. So uh, I saw that. I saw him at USA Basketball Camp. I saw him at the McDonald's All-American Game. So I was like all in on Josh Jackson, basically, before he got to Kansas. And I got to say, he's lived up to the hype. I mean, he's pretty much been 
as good as I've expected him to be. And that's a pivotal cog on a team that could threaten to win the national championship. And really, he's even been better individually as a playmaker. I think that that's kind of where he stands out. You notice he's averaging three assists a game. I did a video cut of him maybe about a month ago of his best assists, uh, which, you know, I think that he was lauded for his passing ability a bit coming into college, but most people saw the athleticism, the dunks, the highlight reel plays, stuff like that. But Jackson's someone who has a really high level understanding of the game. And I think that that's uh, really what separates him within this class. Uh, in terms of how he stacks up to the point guards, I mean, the problem with Jackson is he's just a bad shooter. I mean, he's not just a bad three point shooter, he's a 55% free throw shooter. Uh, he struggles to make a jump shot. And to me, if you're going to take Josh Jackson, you almost have to play him like a point guard. I would just put the ball in his hands, right? Similar to the way the Bulls play with Jimmy Butler, the Bucks play with Giannis and Dedekumpo. Uh, you know, he's going to be best with the ball in his hands, surrounded by shooters. Uh, so to me, you know, if you're playing him on the wing, yeah, he's going to have some defensive versatility. He doesn't have super long arms, only about a six nine or six ten wingspan, but he competes so hard defensively, and he's got such good instincts, uh, so competitive. So. I really do like Jackson. I think that, you know, his glaring weakness shooting the ball is what holds him back, though. How do you think Jackson compares to Andrew Wiggins? I think that's kind of the the obvious comparison for him just because both are so athletic, both played wing at Kansas. You know, both are, are similar prospects in terms of their national profile. Do you think Josh Jackson, you know, with that motor, even if he's a little bit worse of a shooter than Wiggins was at that point, do you think he's the better overall prospect than Wiggins was? It's a funny comparison because at the surface level, it certainly looks like they should be compared to each other for all the reasons you mentioned. Uh, but, you know, if you dig a little deeper, like there's kind of that train of thought with Wiggins in the NBA right now that he might almost be a bust because he doesn't really do anything other than score. Jackson's not that way. Jackson will really fill up the box score. And I think, you know, Wiggins, the jump shot was a question for him, but he's turned out to be a very good shooter in the NBA. I think he's a little further along uh, than a lot of people anticipated. Uh but he doesn't get any blocks, any steals, any rebounds, whereas any assists. That's where Jackson really shines. He's going to fill up the box where he's putting up a lot of blocks, a ton of steals. Uh, I mentioned the assists already. He's a really good playmaker. So while at the surface level it seems like they're similar players, I think that Wiggins is more of a one-trick pony in terms of being a scorer, whereas Jackson's going to impact the game uh, in a number of ways. And I don't think he'll be as polished as a scorer as quickly as Wiggins has become one. So, you know, you talked about Jackson shooting, and there are several other players that are, you know, you can kind of look at their college three-point shooting uh, percentages and still kind of have questions about, like, how, how good of a shooter is this going to be at the next level? Uh, Dennis Smith, you know, even Lonzo Ball, uh, like we were talking about earlier, uh, just with the form, and, and a guy like Jason Tatum, you know, not shooting a, a super great percentage there. Uh, and then you have a guy like Jonathan Isaac, who is you know seems kind of in the infancy of his development uh but he is shooting like you know 35% which is which is pretty crazy for a 611 guy who who seems as raw as he is uh do you see like any bust potential with a guy like Isaac uh, just because of you know he's he's not really being asked to do a ton right now and it it's still a lot of projection with him or is the fact that he's shooting this well uh, this early on uh, a sign to you that, that he's a, a pretty safe bet at the next level? You know what? It's tough to say. I really like Jackson, though, and I think it all comes, or I really like uh, Jonathan Isaac, I should say, and I think it all comes down to fit. Like, let's put it this way if the Sixers get the third pick and Ball and Fultz are off the board, I would take Jonathan Isaac if I were the Sixers because, uh, you know, there's a lot of teams in this position where, like, if you're going to have one guy who's going to control the ball 
for the Sixers, it's going to be Ben Simmons. For the Bulls, Jimmy Butler. For the Bucks, Giannis. For the Cavs, LeBron. Uh, I want guys who are going to complement my star player who's going to have the ball all the time. And uh, if Ben Simmons is going to have the ball all the time for the Sixers, I just feel like it's tough for Jackson to complement him not being much of a threat off the ball. Whereas you look at Isaac, and I think that, you know, given his length, the 7'1 wingspan, uh, his size at 6'10 or 6'11, you're going to be able to have a big mismatch problem with him just, first of all, just spacing the floor uh, on offense. He's going to be able to spot up knockdown jumpers and then defensively he's going to be able to like plug in a lot of different holes so uh honestly shooting becomes it's so talked about that you almost tend to i guess you know discount it maybe a little bit think that uh it gets too much hype and in a sense maybe it does but like it, it all comes back to fit and if i have a player uh who already is going to be like dominating the ball and who's gonna you know need some some spacing around him I think Jackson's a perfect guy to fit into that role because his size gives him a lot of versatility defensively. Uh, and while, like, I don't know if he's a great three-point shooter, I think he's hitting, like, 35% right now, I do think that he'll be able to hit catch-and-shoot spot-up jumpers from the beginning of his career and then potentially grow into something more. And if you look at Isaac, like, that Florida State team this year is loaded. I wrote something about Florida State earlier in the week. Then The next night they beat Duke. Uh, and Isaac is not forcing the issue. So you could look at him and just be like, oh, he's averaging 12 points a game. He's only taking eight shots a game. Uh, maybe he's not very assertive. But to me, that shows a player who's able to blend in with his surroundings. Because no matter where Jonathan Isaac goes, even if it's as high as number three, uh, he's not going to be the man on that team. Certainly not right away. There's going to be other people uh, ahead of him in the pecking order, and he's going to have to be someone who can play a complementary role. He's already showing in Florida State that he can play a complementary role for a good team and do it well. So I think there's a lot to like about Isaac, and I would say I'm in on him right now. So you mentioned Florida State just beat Duke the other night. Um, you know, Harry Giles, the the crown jewel, I guess, of this Duke recruiting class, one of the better ones that that Coach K has been able to bring in. Uh, we haven't really seen much from him. You know, he missed the first 11 games of the season. He's played just uh, over 20 minutes in just one game. That came against Boston College last weekend. He had a double-double against Georgia Tech uh, back on January 4th. But other than that, I think he's been a little bit of a disappointment as he continues to work back uh, from the knee procedure. But what do you need to see from Harry Giles throughout the rest of ACC play here uh, for his stock to kind of rise back into the top five like it was, um, you know, maybe back in September or October? Yeah, it's tough, man. And ACL is such a tough injury because, like, you look at Jabari Parker, his second season, uh, you know, after Jabari's second season, it didn't really look like he was going to be a stud. And then he's been amazing offensively this year for the Bucks. In his third season, I think even if you look at, like, Ricky Rubio, Derek Rose, Rajon Rondo, after tearing an ACL, it just takes a little bit of time. It doesn't matter how young you are, how many miles you have on you. So uh, it's tough with Giles. But I think, you know, the thing that has to shine through for him is just the defense. Like, it's 6'11", 220 pounds. I remember I talked to him in high school uh, at USA Basketball Camp a year ago in October when he was out with a knee injury. He said he saw himself as a four. And, you know, I think a lot of times that's how these guys are programmed uh, coming up through the rankings. But the way that the game has evolved and sort of downsized a bit, like Giles has got to be a five all the way. He's got the length to do it as seven three wingspan. Uh, he should have the base to do it. He was up to 235 pounds when I saw him at that USA basketball event in 2015. And his defense just hasn't looked good. People are taking it right into him and moving him off his uh, off his spot. His reaction time hasn't been good. So to me, if you're drafting Harry Giles, I think you just want to see the defense first and foremost. And uh, until that comes back, I think it's uh, really premature to project him as a top five pick. So TJ Leaf, uh, you know, kind of the opposite of, of Giles in that he – 
you know, I, he he kind of gets undersold for how big of a recruit he was because he was like a legitimate recruit, but like nobody was really talking about him coming into the year. That was kind of seen as Lonzo Ball's team. And TJ Leaf really just doesn't seem to have any weaknesses, at least not on the, the offensive side of the ball. So uh, has he played his way into the lottery, in your opinion? It's a good question. I mean, he could. Uh, being based in Chicago, he reminds me a bit of Nikola Miritich, where I think that you know just the shooting you get out of the fourth spot for him is super valuable. He's not taking enough threes this year, though. He's only taking two a game. He's making almost 50% of them. Uh, and he had a reputation entering school as a shooter. So I just think that that's the type of skill set that complements, you know, another star player. So uh, th- that's huge in the NBA, especially now. You look around the league and there's all these, like, one-man shows, right? Like, James Harden. What do you want to do with James Harden? Well, you surround him with shooters. Uh, same thing with, you know, the other guys I've mentioned, like Butler and Giannis. So I think that Leaf shooting ability is going to make him a first-rounder this year probably – I wonder who he defends, and it's going to be tough to even see that at the college level because UCLA as a team doesn't play a lot of defense. They're playing pretty small, often four guards at the same time. They play Lonzo at power forward in their best lineup. I don't know if a lot of people realize that with Bryce Alford, uh, Aaron Holiday, and Isaac Hamilton with Leaf at the five. So uh, I don't think Leaf is going to be a five in the league whatsoever, but he's got a decent frame. He's 220 pounds. You just hope he could hold his own, and uh, if I'm using Miritich as an example— Mirchich has been pretty good defensively for the Bulls. I think he's sort of underrated as a defender. So if Leaf could even get to that level on defense, his shooting's just going to be such a plus in the front court that I think uh, he's he can be a first-round pick if he comes out for sure, maybe even taken in the lottery, as you said. Yeah, the Mirtich is an interesting comp. That's not something uh, or someone, I guess, that, that we had thought of. I think, you know, Leaf's probably a better athlete than Mirtich, maybe a little bit more physical. I mean, do you think he doesn't get quite enough credit for you know being the, the better as good of an all-around player I guess as he is and when you watch him it doesn't seem like he's 6'10 230 but you know he's putting up three double doubles in his last five games and uh really passing. bullying a lot of these smaller teams I mean the passing too kind of stands sure. out to me like he's had some games where he's flirted with triple doubles just because he's uh such a good playmaker from that sort of point forward spot yeah, and I got to say that the system contributes a lot to it. I don't know how much you guys have caught UCLA this year, but like Ball's basic, uh, you know, his ethos is sort of rubbed off on the whole team in terms of sharing the ball, gunning from three. Mm-hmm. They're super fun to watch. And I think that, you know, Leaf has just been sort of caught up in that tidal wave of uh, their style of play. And yeah, his passing's really impressed me. I think Meritich is a pretty good passer, mm-hmm. too, to bring back to that comparison. But. Uh, you know, I like TJ Leaf. I didn't actually see him on the circuit. He was someone who was committed to Arizona. He decommitted after he got cut from USA Basketball. Arizona ends up getting Laurie Markinen, who will probably be drafted ahead of him, sort of a similar skill set at Arizona. Leaf goes to UCLA, and it just seems like it worked out for everyone. So mm-hmm. at the college basketball level, uh, that's been a big plus. And I think, you know, Leaf aligning himself with Lonzo Ball has certainly helped raise his stock because if you put him on like more of a middling team, you know, like switch him with Tyler Lydon at Syracuse, right? Uh, and is he still drawing this kind of hype? I think there's absolutely no way, but he's just been sort of swept up in what Lonzo has been able to do, what the UCLA team's been able to do. It's affected his draft stock uh, for sure, and he's a huge part of their success because of that shooting in the front court. And like you said, he's better as a passer uh, and, you know, filling up the box score numbers than a lot of people anticipated. So we've touched on Lonzo Ball a few times. Everybody knows about the passing, um, you know, the all-around game, the rebounding numbers have been great. Um, But the other, the elephant in the room, I guess, is that jump shot. I think 
it looks awful. Um, you know, you don't really understand how he's able to to rein in these, you know, twenty six foot three pointers like he was against Stanford on Sunday uh, with the jump shot that looks like that. But it kind of reminds me a little bit of almost like a Kevin Martin release, where or even a Sean Marion, where you know if he's made it this far and he's been this successful with it, I don't know that an NBA team is going to try to ask him to change it. Um, but I guess my overall question is: Are the concerns about how that jumper looks a little bit overblown right now? You know what? I don't think the jumper is even a concern whatsoever. Like he's hitting forty-five percent. He's right. hit like five plus in multiple multiple games. I will say it has a bit of a slow release. And if you've watched his games this year and if you watched his highlights, he just takes like absolute bombs. He's making like thirty footers all the time. So that shows his range, which is a good thing. But I guess conversely, I don't like the release isn't quick enough. I don't think, and that's going to be an issue. Just like he's bringing it across his face. I've never seen a player shoot like that. It's almost like. He's loading a basketball into a water balloon launcher, I guess is my comparison for Lonzo Ball's jump shot. Uh, but so, like, how do you create separation in that situation? you got to have a step back. And his step back is nasty already. He's a freshman in college. Like, he's hitting step back dagger threes multiple times throughout this year. I'm recalling back when he hit it right before halftime against Kentucky in their big win uh, at Rep Arena. So, uh, I, don't, I don't think the shooting's a red flag with Ball, as crazy as that sounds. If you just look at the jumper, it, it certainly looks bizarre, but there's enough of a sample size at this point uh, to think it's going to go in. And it's got so much range, which is the other thing I like. Like, There's no issue with him that like the NBA line is going to screw him up. He's been shooting deeper than NBA threes the whole year. Uh, to me, it's like the NBA is like totally a pick-and-roll league, right? And what you want your primary ball handler to do in that situation a lot of times is just, to just finish the play uh, after they get that screen. Whereas ball... He's like pass first, pass second, pass third. Uh, he's not really looking to finish after he comes off the screen. So I would say his ability to like just score uh, in half-court sets as a pick-and-roll finisher would be for sure the number one area of concern for him. But, you know, he's also 19 years old. He has like a basketball savant mind, basically. He's, he's two steps ahead of everyone else on the court. So uh, that's to me, he's the number two prospect in the draft. But he's very polarizing. And I'm sure, you know, people can make a good argument against him, too. So the, the guy that I kind of think of, what you're talking about, you know, is Lonzo going to be able to get that shot off? The guy that I kind of think about with that in mind is is Malik Monk, just because... You know, if he's getting guarded by twos at the next level, then, you know, that's that's another, you know, three inches probably on average uh, than what he's dealing with right now. Uh, are you worried at all about him, uh, you know, maybe not getting as clean a looks at the next level and that really uh, sort of hurting his ability to fill it up? Or do you, do you like his just quickness and athleticism as a, as a separator that will help him get that shot off? Or do you even see him possibly even profiling as, as a point guard? Uh, I did a story on him as a point guard, actually, when he was on the recruiting trail. He was torn between Arkansas and Kentucky. Arkansas might have let him play the point guard with Kentucky. Uh, he figured he was probably going to be off the ball. I think that was even before they signed Darren Fox. But uh, I don't. I just don't see the point guard skills in him. But that's totally fine because to me, like, the sort of the point guard position, I don't want to say it's getting phased out, but it's just changing so much. Like now when the bulls are in the fourth quarter, Jimmy Butler is the point guard. He's a six, seven small forward, but he's the point guard and they're surrounding him with shooters and they run and pick and roll. Uh, and you know, it's the same thing with Giannis and it's going to happen with Ben Simmons too. So to me, Malik Monk is the type of guy who just compliments those dudes, right? Like as a bulls fan, if the bulls 
were to have their choice between De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, give me Malik Monk all day because De'Aaron Fox isn't going to be any help to Jimmy Butler spotting up off the ball, whereas Malik Monk will be a huge beneficiary of that. And uh, this is a, a story I want to do soon, is a spotlight on Monk's transition ability because I think that that's something that kind of separates him. He is an elite-level athlete, and he hasn't finished many plays at the rim for Kentucky this year, but you look like he's literally the only shooter on the floor. Bam Adebayo is not going to shoot it. Wendy and Gabriel is not shooting it. Darren Fox can't shoot it at all, and neither can Isaiah Briscoe. So, like, how is he supposed to get into the lane when no one else can hit a jumper? Everything is, you know, converged in the lane defensively, stacked against him. So he's had to take these tough shots, and he's proven that he can take and make tough jumpers. I think the size is definitely a concern, and you have to be sort of cautious in how high you're going to project him but someone like Zach Levine, who who is a little bigger than Monk, but I think that that could be like a pretty solid, uh, you know, like best case scenario for Malik Monk. J.R. Smith is at a really good career. He's three inches taller, two granted, but I think their skill sets are pretty similar. Uh, and like, if you're Philly, I know a lot of the Sixers fans, I, I've seen some, you know, super plugged in Sixers fans who uh, have doubts about Monk, but to me, like he's someone who'd be able to run with Ben Simmons in transition. Monk's really, really good in transition and be able to hit a catch-and-shoot jumper, and be able to hit a three off the dribble himself, uh, it's a pretty appealing skill set, despite the fact he's a couple inches shorter than you'd like. So I like Monk, personally. All right, so other than knocking off Vanderbilt the other night, the big story uh, out of Lexington this week, they add a- another five-star recruit to this class in, in what's a relatively unprecedented move. Uh, Hamadou Diallo, uh, the 11th-ranked overall player in the ESPN 100 for the class of 2017, uh, basically graduating early and joining Kentucky now uh, as the second semester gets underway. Sounds like he's probably going to redshirt. You know, obviously he'd be be so far behind in terms of catching up with the rest of this class and the rest of this team. But is he on the radar for the 2017 draft? Yeah, I mean, why not? Like, if some, So, like, basically with the new rules where you can go through the process and then withdraw your name, like, why wouldn't he declare and then, you know, figure it out? Because I've seen Diallo play. He is... I mean, he's kind of like what you think of if you were to describe a 6'6 wing, 6'10 wingspan, who is just super, super athletic. He's got that like Wiggins level bounce uh, where with the, you know, the priority on wings right now in the league, I think some some team could easily see him and be like, well, he's not going to help us this year. But in a few years, he could really help us. Uh, to me, he's just like a ball of clay, right? He's got the athleticism. He's got the size. He plays a premium position. Uh, I've seen Diallo play a few times and he is he is talented for sure. There's no doubt. I mean, it's easy to see why he's considered a five-star prospect. It's like a no-brainer. You look at him and you're like, duh, he's a five-star prospect. But then to take that next level from prospect to player is really like the hardest thing for a young basketball player. Uh, and so much of the game is mental now. And so much of it comes down to shooting ability and uh, playmaking ability. And, you know, I just think that Diallo is probably going to need some time to develop that. But in terms of just like physical tools, ball of clay, he's got what you're looking for for sure. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by Draft. We already know you love fantasy, so we know you'll love playing fantasy on Draft. Draft is a simple daily fantasy app where you can do snake drafts just like the ones you do at the beginning of your season-long league. On Draft, it's draft day every day. You can do drafts whenever you want. They last for just one day, and they take only minutes to complete. On Draft, you can play for free, or better yet, you can play for money. Get this, your chances of winning money on Draft are almost three times better than your chances of winning on FanDuel or DraftKings. If you're playing fantasy for money and not spending hours a day doing it, you absolutely should be playing on Draft. 
We just did an eight-person draft before the show. I got Giannis with my first pick. I'll be doing another one later tonight with James. Join us. Download Draft now. Just search Draft in the App Store. That's D-R-A-F-T. It'll come up first right on the top. Be sure to enter our promo code ROTOWIRE when you download. You'll get 100% bonus up to $600 when you deposit. Again, just search Draft in the App Store and be sure to enter the promo code ROTOWIRE. That's all one word, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E. So we've kind of kind of been praising all the guys we've been talking about so far. I mean, everyone, you know, loves this draft class. I've I've said that it's the the deepest class since 1996, but even if you look at that 96 class, there were some busts in the lottery. Uh if you had to kind of look at the guys who are are pretty unanimously projected to go in the lottery and and pick one or two guys who you wouldn't be all that surprised if we look back in five years and, and really scratch our heads as to what that team was thinking when they took that player. Who, who are some guys that, that maybe stand out to you in that regard? Yeah, you know, I think Tatum's been exposed a little bit. I, I was never super high on Jason Tatum just because, like, granted, he's super young. And when you talk about, like, how you're going to build a kid and do a score, how do you do it, uh, it's certainly debatable. But, like, the first thing everyone says about Jason Tatum, and this is super evident uh, to anyone who watched him, is a high school player like I did. I probably saw him five times in high school. Uh, he does almost all of his work out of the post. He's like basically posting up at the free throw line, hitting fadeaways and stuff. In the NBA, you only want threes and layups, right? That's just not a super efficient shot. Uh, Tatum's a capable three-point shooter, I think, but he's not a good three-point shooter. I believe he's hitting about 30% of his threes right now. And like, if you compare him to Josh Jackson, let's say from the shoulders down athletically, Jackson blows him out of the water. So then... How is Tatum going to make up that difference? I think he'd have to do it, you know, shoulders up, be someone who could be a secondary creator and be really good like that. But actually, that's the type of player Jackson is. He's proven in his uh, in his short college career so far. So uh, I think NBA teams will like Tatum, but I haven't been super high on him uh, for a little bit. And uh, he's someone who I think, you know, could potentially bust uh, in this draft who goes in the top 10. Do you think Tatum's a three or a four? I'm using a combo, right? Like you're going to play him at the That's, four when you want to go small, and then when you when you need him at the three, he's going to be able to do that too. So, but if you're asking what's his best position, I mean, it seems like most of these guys are better when they move up a position, right? Yeah, like like I, I sort of see a lot of the same stuff with him that I see with like Harrison Barnes and Aaron Gordon, where they're they're at their best at the four. I'm just not really sure. You know, it kind of depends what team he goes to. Like we were talking about with Fit earlier, if he goes to the wrong team and and has to play. And has to try to cover cover threes at the next level. I wonder if that, that might not go so well for him. Yeah, but he has, like, the body where he should be able to be a three, right? Like, he has, like, the classic small forward body. He's not like Jabari Parker, where he's 250 pounds, and it's like this dude has no chance of covering threes. He's, like, 200 pounds. He should be able to do it. Uh, he's pretty quick on his feet. But, yeah, I mean, I think that for sure, uh, you know, it's just like when you're going – you'd almost rather have a speed advantage, you know, when you're the offensive player. Like I'll go around this slow, slow guy more so than like bully someone. Uh, and Tatum is really skilled. Like Tatum's footwork is super advanced for someone his age. He might end up being a really good player. Uh, but, I mean, if you're trying to identify possible busts in this draft, I, I think I'd, I'd circle him. And then, you know, if you want to go around the rest of them, like – Laurie Markkinen is a ridiculous shooter as a seven-footer, but I just don't see who he defends. I don't know who Ryan Anderson's defending either on the Rockets. He's been a huge piece to their success this year. He's having an $80 million deal, didn't he, at 32 years old? So I think, you know, is that really a bust? Of course not. But I just don't know, like, he has – Markkinen just has, like, a hole in his game on the defensive end, uh, which is going to be kind of an issue for him. And 
Dennis Smith I like, but I mean, is a six-two point guard who's going to pound the ball a lot. Like, I just wonder what the ceiling for a team with Dennis Smith is. You don't see a lot of like super good teams with that sort of archetype of player running the point. So through this point in the college season, which prospect who is probably considered a lottery pick, you know, coming into this coming into the year, which prospect has hurt his stock the most? I never saw it with Bam Adebayo, who's at Kentucky this year. Uh, I don't know if he's still considered a lottery pick or a first rounder. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, where the current mock drafts have him, but you know, he's someone who doesn't protect the rim. He doesn't have a jumper. So it's like, what are you doing from an NBA perspective as a big man? It's like, if you, you're not going to guard the perimeter, you're not going to be a mega shot blocker and you're not going to stretch the floor with threes. It's like, what are you doing? Everyone uh, sort of compared him to prime Amari, but like that was such, Amari was just such a ridiculous player in his, in his youth on Phoenix that I think, you know, Cliff, Cliff Alexander got the same comparison when he was uh, coming out of Kansas and going into Kansas, even, and Adebayo really reminds me of Cliff. And I, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys have any hot takes on Cliff Alexander. I still think he could be a decent player. <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean. uh, yeah, I still think Cliff could be a decent player. That's my Chicago bias coming in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just sort of like a reserve big. But, you know, Adebayo is, is like a starter. I, I just don't see it from him. He's really going to have to develop as a shot blocker. You know, he's going to have to do something, either a jump shot or a shot blocker. He's going to have to do something to, you know, live up to that recruiting hype as an NBA player. We haven't talked about OG Ananobi yet, and he's a guy who, like, coming into the year, and and even after just kind of watching his first three games or whatever, like, I I was kind of all in on him being sort of a sleeper guy that that people might not be talking about as a lottery pick uh, that that would play his way into that mix and and end up going in the lottery. And I just don't – I don't know what I make of him anymore because he's – the physical – the ability to guard three positions, uh, just a great athlete. Might might even be one of the best defenders in the entire class, but but I just wonder if his offensive limitations are really going to hurt him. How, how do you kind of see him profiling at the next level? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, three positions. He might be able to guard five positions. Yeah. Really, he's that he's that quick. I think that he's someone who's going to be able to switch every screen defensively. And uh, I can't wait till we get a length measurement on him because his length. His wingspan is like one of these things. It's like LeBron's weight and Kevin Durant's height, where like every time you say it, it seems like it goes up 10 pounds or two inches or whatever. So I'm interested to see what Ananobi actually measures at. But defensively, I, I really believe in Ananobi. I, I, I was in on him too, even from last year. I wrote something on him. And I think that, uh, you know, he's going to be able to defend his position from day one. He's going to be really good in transition. I don't know if you guys saw the dunk he had against Maryland the other night. It was just like such a ridiculous display of athleticism offensively I mean for sure he's raw he's further behind than I think I anticipated him to be at this point but he's also 19 years old so like if the time if by the time he's like 24 or 23 his spot of jumper already looks okay he's hitting 33 percent of his threes he's really rough as a ball handler and as a creator that's just like not even possible for him right now but he's 19 uh you know the fact that you know you can pencil him in defensively already I think that's a pretty good sign. And just ask Jamal Murray if you want to know how good of a defender he is because he blanketed Murray in the NCAA tournament last year. And then offensively, it's all about patience, right? No one wants to be patient nowadays in general. It's especially the case in the NBA. Uh, but I think you'd have to be patient with him offensively, see what he grows into because you know what he's going to give you defensively, uh, hopefully from the get-go. All right, so now that we've talked about Ananobi, we, t- we touched on Bam Adebayo. Like who, who are, who's a player who you know, is not currently considered a lottery pick who you think could work his way up into that top 14 by the time late June rolls around? Uh, it's a tough question. I think Justin Patton is one guy who jumps out, the redshirt freshman center from Creighton. Uh, he's just been ridiculously efficient finishing the 
finishing uh, at the hoop this year. I think he's like top five in true shooting percentage in the entire country. I'll pull up the exact number. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but, you know, he's seven foot. The best thing he does is just run the floor. He's really, really quick for someone with his size. He's a decent shot blocker, not a great shot blocker. But I think that, you know, he's got that baseline level of skill that you look for. And he's shooting. I mean, his true shooting percentage is 73%. So he's really been outstanding. He was a recruit at the bottom end of the top 100 redshirt last year to gain strength. He's only 230 pounds. Uh, but I think, you know, as a seven footer who can move like that, he could be someone who can shoot up. And it doesn't seem like every year, like a great March Madness run will catapult an upperclassman into the lottery. So if we're gonna, you know, accept that as something that usually happens, I'll go with Josh Hart. I love Josh Hart at Villanova. I think Villanova is awesome again. They're gonna make another deep NCAA tournament run. And you know, the question for Josh Hart last year was how well he could shoot the ball. This year, he's been shooting it super well. He struggled a little bit lately. He was over forty for most of the season. Now he's down to thirty-eight uh, percent. But that's just like a secondary thing for Josh Hart. First and foremost, he's just going to defend his ass off. And he's someone who, like, if there's a loose ball, Josh Hart's getting the loose ball. And I talked to him at the draft combine last year. I asked him who he patterns his game off of. He says Tony Allen. No one says Tony Allen. Everyone says Westbrook or Kobe or something. Josh Hart knows who he is, and I like that about him. Uh, and I think, you know, as the jump shot develops, he could be someone who could, uh, you know, maybe sneak into the back end of the lottery. Yeah, what did Diamond Stone tell us? Uh, comp I think it was like part Dwight Howard, part someone, some other like part, star, big Ben. Yeah, I, I, it was alarming. I think uh, that's always a bad sign when the player like thinks that they're they're Kobe or, mm-hmm. or the next. Uh, what was Ricky? What was your evaluation of Diamond Stone? By the way, just just uh, to go on a little bit of a tangent, he's kind of held a soft spot in, in James and my heart. Just your heart. Well, I mean, you know, the game's just gone away from a player like Diamond Stone. Unfortunately, like. As a lifelong basketball fan, I really hope that the game doesn't become super homogenous and everyone's playing the exact same way, but it does seem like that's probably going to happen. And that's going to phase out someone like Diamond Stone who just like doesn't have the lateral quickness to defend a pick and roll defensively. And then it's like offensively, it's not super efficient to be dumping the ball in the post to him all the time. But like from Stone's perspective, I mean, there's a reason he was a top 10 recruit. You can just see like a dominant offensive big man with his back to the basket. You just wonder how much of a place that type of player has in the in the league's landscape right now. So maybe Josh Hart is the answer to this next question, but who do you see as this season's version of, of a Malcolm Brogdon, a really, really good college player uh, who you think could maybe go in the second round and end up surprising some NBA people? Damn, I should have saved Josh Hart for that question <laughs> because Josh Hart's going to be my answer. Uh, okay. let, me look, let me look down the rest of this list really quick to see if I like anyone. Uh, you know who's who's kind of flying under the radar, who I like, and it's just because he, sh- he shoots the hell out of the ball, but VJ Beecham at Notre Dame, uh, he's always just been a pure shooter. I guess this year he's only hitting 38%. I anticipated it to be higher before I clicked on those stats, but uh, he's someone who at 6'8", I think, you know, Notre Dame's gone to back-to-back elite eights. Uh, VJ Beecham is a key player on the team. They don't have someone like a Demetrius Jackson or a Jaron Grant or a Pat Connaughton this year. Uh, and he's really helped keep him afloat, him and Bonzi Colson. And, you know, as someone who can shoot the ball that way at 6'8", I think that uh, he could be a complimentary player in the league. Why not? He's someone who in the second round, uh, team could take a chance on him. And then Cameron Oliver is another guy I like because he's someone who just fills up the box. Where he's a power forward for Nevada, uh, 6'8". He's blocking a ton of shots this year. He's moving the ball pretty well. He's blocking three shots a game. He's moving the ball pretty well. Uh, and he's shooting the three at 40%. So... Uh, if you're looking for some, I guess, deep sleepers, those would be two guys I didn't mention. Uh, one guy that we, we 
I'm, I'm just going to slip in before we let you go. Is is Frank Nicolina from uh, France? You know, I, I none of us have really gotten to see him play up against maybe the same level of competition as some of the other point guards in this class. But I mean, the physical gifts are, are pretty apparent. I mean, he's he's got as good of a, a point guard body as as anyone else in this draft. He can shoot a little bit. He's he's a pretty good defender. What do what do you think of him? And and does he how does he stack up against, you know, maybe that top tier, or do you see him more kind of in that that second tier point guard in this in this class? Yeah, it's tough for me to say because like the rest of these dudes, I've been watching for a few years on the high school circuit, just covering the recruiting side of college basketball. So I'm pretty familiar with their games and their stories. And uh, I mean, I don't even know how to pronounce Frank's last name correctly. So right. I just gave it a shot. Uh, but he seems good. Like everything you said, I'm like, yeah, for sure. It's you know, six five point guard. Uh, Apparently his shooting's gotten better this year. Apparently uh, defensively he's pretty good. He's got long arms. So, I mean, if that's the case, he certainly passes the eye test. I'm looking, though, 170 pounds. That's got to be a little bit of a question mark, right? Like, I don't think normal people realize how big of a difference weight makes. If you even just play pickup, if someone's got, like, 20, 30 pounds on you, like, there's really nothing you can do. So uh, just being 6'5", I think, is certainly beneficial for him. But, uh, I, you know, the weight at 170, that might be a little bit of a question mark. Uh, but like you said, the physical tools certainly sound really appealing from the NBA level. And I would not be surprised if he goes ahead of, you know, Dennis Smith or De'Aaron Fox or someone with a lot more publicity right now. And I would say just, just basing it off video, uh, 170 seems low. Um, I, I, I've seen I, him listed as high as like 190. Yeah, I think I would maybe eyeball him at like 185. Um, so that that maybe is... A little misleading, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think even even at, at 185, you could stand to add a little bit. All right, so the last thing we wanted to ask you, um, you know, James touched on just how deep this draft is and, you know, how much star potential there, there certainly seems to be uh, in the lottery, but, um, you know, the 96 class is kind of the, the, the comp in terms of depth. Let's talk about the 2013 draft, which continues to kind of look worse and worse as, you know, a player like Anthony Bennett just this past week uh, gets waived again. Uh, This is a little bit of a a subjective question, I suppose, but how many guys in this 2017 class do you honestly think would have gone number one, you know, in 2013 as we look back? I mean, to me, there could, you could make a case for maybe six, seven, eight guys. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the 2013 draft is the only one I can remember, and I've been nerding out over the draft since I was a little kid, but where the number one pick was a total surprise. Yeah. Like, we were covering that at SB Nation. We had pre-writes for everyone, right? So, like, as soon as Cleveland made that pick, we were just going to hit publish. We didn't even have a pre-write for Anthony Bennett. We had it for, like, seven or eight other guys. So, that was a total surprise. I don't know if we'll ever see another draft like that where just no one has any idea what they're doing. But, you know, for as criticized as that draft is, it's like, I'll take Giannis over basically anyone. And he was in that draft. Mm-hmm. Like, no one no one knew how good he was going to be because he was playing in Greece in, like, second division ball and, and he got taller after he got drafted and all that. But, uh, I mean, if you look at this draft now, yeah, the top of it's really bad. But you can arrange it, and there's still some pretty good players in there. There's good players in every draft. It's kind of the point I'm making. Steven Adams is solid. Uh, KCP looks great for Detroit lately, right? I haven't been yeah. watching too much Pistons basketball, but I think he's been pretty good. I mean, uh, Otto Porter's been awesome, too, yeah. right, lately for the for the Wizards. So, uh, you know, this is a bad draft for sure. Gobert's in there as well, uh, who's awesome. But uh, I agree with you that, you know, in terms of hype, the top guys, right. man, yeah. Well, I mean, like, if you, if you imagine a guy like, you know, KCP, like you said, has been playing well. He's been a good defender. He's been a nice rotation guy. But, like, if you imagine him as a prospect back in 2013, like, 
does he go 25 in the 2017 draft? You know, not knowing what we know now. Yeah. I mean, there is such an emphasis on three and D guys though. And that's what KCP is. Right. So sure. I don't know. It's tough, but maybe like he went to Georgia. He was right. in McDonald's all American, but like who the hell goes to Georgia? So he certainly didn't have that like blue blood hype that Lonzo mm-hmm. Ball got right now. And that's really the underrated part of this class is like so many of these guys went to the best schools, So they're always on TV. Like to have De'Aaron Fox and Monk at Kentucky, it's just awesome because Kentucky's always going to be on ESPN regardless. So like you might as well watch Malik Monk if you're going to be watching college basketball. Uh, and to have Lonzo at UCLA and Duke obviously is a big class. So I think that's what's made this college basketball season really fun if anyone actually cares about watching college basketball. And then from a draft perspective, uh, it just doubles because it just seems like the stakes are higher when they're big programs and you actually get maybe a little bit of view into what these guys are like in big time situations because that's what's happened as they're committed to these big schools. Quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.